I want to start this morning with a, a retelling, a quick, maybe two-minute version of 1 Kings chapter 18. Some of you will be very familiar with this story. Some of uh, you, this will be new, but you ought to read it. It's an awesome story. So Elijah is the spokesperson for God. He's a godly man, and he's uh, in, living in and uh, in fellowship with the God that we know, the God Jehovah of the Bible. Uh, and he's in, obviously, uh, Israel at the time. And um, there are some bad dudes, the Balaamites. They worship Baal, B-A-A-L. They're idolaters, they do wickedness, and they are an offense to God. And Elijah cannot convince them to leave their idolatrous ways and come to worship and live with the living God, this God of Jehovah, Jehovah, the God of the Bible that we know. So this great, believe it or not, contest is set up on Mount Carmel. And Elijah says to the Balaamites, he said, you guys build an altar of wood, and I'll build an altar of wood, and we'll we'll slaughter bulls, we'll we'll make a sacrifice, you put your your sacrifice on your pile of wood, I'll put my sacrifice on my pile of wood, and, and you pray to your God, Baal to send down fire from heaven, to consume the sacrifice. And if Baal does it, we'll know that he's real. And I'll pray to my God, God Jehovah, the God of the Bible, to send down fire from heaven. And if he does it, then you'll know that my God is real. And so they agree to it. So this great contest is set up on Mount Carmel. And the Balaamites um, cut the wood and they slaughter the bull and put it there. And they begin early in the morning to cry out to Baal, come down, send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And nothing happens. They continue through the entire morning. And the Bible says midday comes and nothing has happened. And they're wailing and screaming and jumping around to get Baal to, to do something. And they decide maybe it's a good idea if we cut ourselves. So they begin cutting themselves and blood is flowing out of their bodies. Maybe this will provoke Baal to send down fire from heaven. Well, finally, by the evening, nothing has happened. So Elijah says, look, we want to make a proper sacrifice to God Jehovah. So let's dig a trench around my uh, altar, uh, around my pile of wood and bull, and we'll put some grain offerings in that. And then what I want to do is pour a whole bunch of water on this too to prove to the Balaamites that our God not only will come and send fire, but he can actually consume a sacrifice that's covered in water. So they do. And the water actually fills the trenches around um, the big pile of wood and the sacrifice bull. And Elijah prays and says, Lord, come down Show yourself, show yourself to these people, consume this sacrifice, and fire comes down from heaven, and the wood is consumed, and the bull is consumed, and the grain and the trench is consumed, and the Bible says even the water was licked up by the fire from God. Great victory for Elijah, great victory for God, probably an awesome day. Can you imagine being Elijah and having this thing pulled off in and through you to the glory of God? Well, interesting enough, in the next chapter, 1 Kings 19, we find the same man, Elijah, giving in to irrational and unreasonable emotions. He's hiding on a mountain, he's cowering under a tree, and he's praying for God to kill him. So what happened between this huge victory and this unreasonable emotion that Elijah's going through? Well, we would say it's emotional imbalance. We're in week number two of this sermon series called Balanced. We started it last week, Becoming All God Wants Us to Be. And today we'll talk about emotional imbalance. Let's pray. Lord, I suspect that many here today are interested because emotions are tricky and they take us places that are troubling and and frustrating sometimes and and ununderstandable. So let us understand clearly uh, about emotions today, how we are to use them, what they are, the pitfalls that can come our way through emotions and how we are to manage them and use them for you. Speak clearly to us uh, this morning. Um, Let us be touched and changed. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. For Christ's sake, amen. 
First off this morning, four mistakes that we can make. And the first is that we make the mistake of focusing more on how we feel than on the truth or facts. This man, Elijah, says that he was afraid. He was responding to emotions. Elijah's using the emotional reasoning that says, I feel it, so it must be true. And that can be real troublesome. You can say things like, I feel like a failure, so I must be a failure. I feel far away from God, so God must be far away from me. I feel like there have been no blessings in my life, so there have obviously been no blessings in my life. But feelings and emotions aren't truth. I talked about it earlier. This is the actual passage from Scripture where God delivers victory. And just because Elijah feels like a failure doesn't mean he was. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So I wanted to show you that because that's the truth. That's what really happened. But sometimes we let the truth get away from us and we lead with our feelings. We lead with our emotions. I've talked about this before and I think it's effective and maybe you need to find some place to write this in your outline. There's not a place provided, but maybe it's that important. Campus Crusade for Christ is an a on-campus Christian ministry and they teach it this way. They say emotions are always the caboose. Emotions are always the caboose. You never lead with the emotions. The engine of your train, the thing you lead with is truth. And emotions follow. We don't deny emotions or say they are irrational or illegitimate. They're not. They're real. But you never lead with how you feel. You lead with what is truth and then let what you feel follow. Emotions are always the caboose. So we're going to have five scripture passages up here. We could have 160 blessings of truth from God's word, of who you are in Christ and who, how much God adores you. And let those five um, passages that we'll read here in a second be the truth in your life for today and let your emotions follow those. Don't lead with how you feel, but let these things be the truth and let your emotions then follow. So read this out loud with me. First of all, from Psalm 139, read this. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How about this one? For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to the fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Truth from God's word. How about this one? For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. A couple more for you this morning. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. One more. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. I hope that these truths this morning are what you lead with, knowing how precious you are to God. And again, emotions are real. They're not illegitimate. We don't poo-poo them and say, ignore them. But let the way you feel follow the truth of God's word. Second mistake that we make is we make the mistake of comparing ourselves to others. Man, do we live in a comparison society. Even before social media, we lived in a comparison society. Facebook and Twitter and all these things make us look at other people and go, 
wow, I am nowhere near where they are. In 1 Kings 19, our story, Elijah came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. And then he compares himself, I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah comparing himself with his ancestors. And when we play the comparison game, sometimes, often, we compare our very worst with other people's very best, and obviously that won't stand up very well. Let me just say it clearly, stop comparing yourself. It's not good, it's not what God has called us to be. God has made us all unique in giftings, in callings, and what he wants us to do. We'll read about it in, the, in a second. It, the Bible talks about us being a, a body, about being ears and eyes and hands and feet, having different roles, having different giftings. And if you're a foot, don't compare yourself to a hand <laughs> just because you have different jobs and different callings. And if you have a job where you're out front and people pat you on the back a lot, accept that humbly. But if that's not your job, don't be jealous or envious of the, the people who are called to do that. As I mentioned, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 12. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So I think this is such a, an important thing for us today. I'd like to pray, at least uh, I'm right here in the middle of the sermon for uh, this point. Let's come together in prayer. Lord, help me find my security in you and your view of me, not in sizing myself up against others and trying to come out ahead. Give me a humble heart that's focused on pleasing you and help me to remember that apart from Jesus, there's nothing I can do to impress you or anyone else. Instead of comparing myself to others, help me to compare myself to my, my Savior, Jesus, and rely on his strength to make me more like him, not like anyone else. In Jesus' name, amen. Number three for us this morning, uh, we make the mistake of blaming ourselves for things that aren't our fault. Some of us are, are really good at that. First Kings 19.10. Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too. Elijah plays the blame game, and he blames himself for failing to turn the nation of Israel from their idolatrous ways back to the Lord. We make the mistake of blaming ourselves for things that aren't our fault. The first um, European sports superstar was a guy named George Best. He's the shorter guy on the left. In the 60s and 70s, he played for a soccer team you might have heard of, Manchester United. He really was the first European sports superstar. For, for my generation, he was the, the Michael Jordan of his era. For those of you younger, he was the LeBron James. Everyone knew him, both on the British Isles and on the continent. Famous. Money to throw away. A lot of women. A lot of alcohol. Drunk. All the time. That's his son, Caleb, standing next to him. 
And Caleb somehow talked himself into the fact that he was to blame for his dad's drinking problem. I don't know the rest of the story. I don't know how this poor young man came to this conclusion. But the fact that he can only talk to his dad two hours out of the day because that's when he was at least sober enough to hear words, he blamed himself for. Is that you? Don't make the mistake of blaming yourself for things that aren't your fault. And if you are there, let us help you. Our website is full of resources. You can call during the week. We have a ministry called Stephen Ministry. These are people just like you with some training to listen to you, to love you, to encourage you, to direct you, to guide you. How about I'm joining our Life Hurts, God Heals class. This meets weekly and will bless you. It's a curriculum to take you through some of the troubles and challenges you might be feeling. How about divorce care for those of you in that situation? How about divorce care for kids for those in situ- that situation? How about grief share if you're grieving Let us help you. How about making uh, an appointment with one of the pastors here in pastoral counseling? Would you make a call this week to our office and and arrange to be part of this? Would you look it up on our website and get the help that you need? We're here to help. We want to help you through unreasonable emotional troubles. And that's what we're talking about today. Finally, number four, uh, we make the mistake of exaggerating the negative and blowing things out of proportion. Did you know that teenagers exaggerate a billion times a second? See what I did there? I'm, I'm an exaggerator. I really am. And I hate that about myself because I'm a storyteller and like, let make it exciting and just straight. And I got to stop doing that. I got to check myself because I'm outside of the truth when I exaggerate. I am outside of the truth when I exaggerate. And I want to be a man who speaks the truth. Stop exaggerating the negative and blowing things out of proportion. At the end of 1 Kings 1.19, Elijah thinks everyone hates him. He thinks everyone is trying to kill him. He says, and now they are trying to kill me too. He's talking to God and saying, the entire nation's trying to kill me. Well, he's exaggerating. One person was trying to kill him, a woman named Jezebel, whole other story, but not everybody. Quit exaggerating, Elijah. He also thinks that he has been the only one faithful to God. Lord, I'm the only one who still is faithful. He says, I reser- God says that I reserve 7,000 in Israel. He said, Elijah, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Exaggerating does several things. It diminishes our perception of reality. It dulls our sense of the spectacular. It denies that God is sustaining me and holding me up. So four mistakes to avoid when it comes to living in and dealing with our emotions. And now four helps for us. And the first help is to rest your body. Elijah goes through these ups and downs, and then God takes care of his physical body. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is uh, is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Obviously, emotions are complicated and nuanced and layered, but a lot of the way you feel is the way your body feels. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating well? I've told this story before. Um, 
but it's very um, useful for us today. I was in my mid-20s. Life wasn't, didn't, in my mind, seemed to be going the way I wanted it. A little bit of depression. So I made an appointment with Pastor Jim Martin, our senior pastor here at the time. Many of you know him. Great guy. Many of us think so highly of this guy. And certainly he would have this, this great advice for me. Get in the Word. Maybe you should be fasting. You know, great spiritual advice Jim Martin would have for me. So after I told him my story about a little bit of depression, a little confusion, you know, what huge um, uh, spiritual truth would he lay on me? And the first thing he said was, you get enough sleep? (laughs) Take care of your body. Eat right. Exercise. Get enough sleep. Number two, give God, uh, oh, more of rest of your body. Uh, Number two, give God your frustrations. Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not only can God handle our frustrations and our heavy burden, he handles our sins. He is a forgiver of sins. Jesus is a frustration absorber. We've used this term frustration a fair amount in Advent these weeks leading up to Christmas because we were reminded because of sin, all of creation is operating in frustration. The farthest molecule in the universe is frustrated because it doesn't work the way it was supposed to. Sin even infected that. It's decaying, it's breaking down. You live in frustration. I live in frustration. Life isn't the way God intended it to be because of our sin. But Jesus says, I'm a frustration absorber. Give me your frustrations. Give me your troubles. Give me your burdens. I will give you a burden that's light and easy, and I will carry your burden for you. Jesus came to fix our frustration, and he does it by forgiving our sins, by taking the debt that you owe to God because you are a sinner, the punishment that you owe to him because he's righteous and just, and he died himself in your place, a substitutionary atonement, big um, religious word, a substitution. He took our place and died and paid the price and then rose again three days later. We imperfectly, but with great joy, are followers of his now because of what he's done for us. Receive this morning that forgiveness of sins if you have never done it. Become a Jesus follower. Humbly, simply, in this place right now or this afternoon, Say, God, that guy in the front talked about forgiveness and frustration, and I want that, and I need that, because I'm a mess. And his word promises that he will come to you and touch you and claim you as one of his own, and you are forgiven, and now you are a child of God. Number three, ask God to remind you who you are in your baptism. Uh, We celebrated that this morning, one of my favorite weekends out of the year, reminding each and every one of us who has been baptized that you are a baptized child of God. Not a religious thing that we do. I mean, it's religious, but not like the ceremony that has no meaning. This is God doing something for us. We are washed, we are renewed, we are changed, we are made new. Bible talks about it in several places. In Titus 3, it says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. So again, we're reminded that it's God doing something for us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, baptism, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. There's a lot there, I know. It's wordy. 
God loves you. He washes you through the water and word of holy baptism. And for some reason, God has chosen baptism, holy communion, and his word as a means of grace, as a delivery system to send love and mercy and forgiveness and grace to you. It's a mystery. How does he do that? Why does he do that? I'm not sure. But the Bible says so, so we receive it. When irrational reasoning comes into your life, be reminded of who you are in baptism. Martin Luther adored his baptism, spoke of it often from the small catechism that Luther wrote, which is just a, a book of questions and answers. He says this, baptism indicates that the old Adam, the person who used to be the sinful person, that the old Adam, is, uh, Adam in us should by daily contrition, that's a brokenness over sin and repentance, that's a turning away from sin, that the old person be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. On the tough emotional days, be reminded of who you are in your baptism, that the old person is gone. They've been drowned with sins and evil and darkness, and a new person has been emerged. You are new, you are different, you've been given a new heart. You're not who you used to be. And number four, ask God to give us a new direction for our life. We wrap up this morning where we started in the story of Elijah, the great victory on Mount Carmel, then the depression and the kind of the conversation back and forth between God and Elijah. And God says this in the end, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. A lot of strange names there, I know. But what God is saying is, here's a new direction for you. I'm calling you to a new thing. You're anointing new people to be leaders in ministry for my people. Go do these things. I'm giving you a new direction. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe... You're done with this chapter in your life, and God is calling you to, to make um, a new direction, a new change. Have ears open to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Be in his word to see how that might be prompting you too. So some next steps for us to follow, maybe things to pray about this week. These are at the bottom of your worship folder. Follow God's lead by actively placing the truth in front of emotions. We always lead with truth. What is truth? And then let emotions follow, never the other way around. Number two, live daily in the new life of your baptism. You are new. You are different. You're not who you used to be. And number three, give God your frustrations and your hurts and your fears and see if he won't take them from you as he promises and gives you something light and easy to carry. Let's pray. Father, uh, again, as we started, we prayed that um, emotions are real and volatile and nuanced and sometimes difficult. So thank you for your word and thank you for your prophet Elijah who remained faithful even through his distress. Move me to be faithful even in tough times. Move us all to be faithful even when there is depression and difficulties and even unreasonable emotions. Holy Spirit, hold us as you've promised to. Let those here this morning who are in difficult places with emotions seek the help that we provide that is provided either by us or other loving Christians. Holy Spirit, come and make us whole, make us healthy in our minds and our emotions, and bless this church. In Jesus' precious name, amen.